Welcome to the Fezoro Podcast. No telling what you might find. Listen in on talks and discussions ranging from dream analysis to spiritual or psychological topics to some other things. Soak in the good vibes and thanks for joining us. You taught me how to speak, showed me what to eat, yeah, you gave me lots of friends. You showed me fire burns, you taught me tables turn, now I'm turning on the heat. Episode 8, entitled The Newspaper Rocking Horse from a talk I led in a high school class in the Czech Republic. In this episode, I speak for half the time about my own feelings concerning climate change, with an emphasis on the hard truths, the credos, and the attitudes which upcoming generations may be challenged to embrace. We considered some of the spiritual and social implications of what lies ahead. My presentation was partly visual, so you may wish to visit the slideshow file, which is linked to on the web at blog.fazoro.com. As you listen now, probably without recourse to the visual materials, I should mention that at one point I talk about the great northern white rhino and show some photos, including a rhino calf. The slide also shows that according to the Washington Post, the last male of the species has died at this point. I spent half the time presenting and the rest of the time facilitating a discussion and responding to questions and comments. I've included only some highlights from the latter. Baby, your time is up. Thanks for joining us, and now, Episode 8. Let me pull up my slide. I like it already. Uh Thank, Thank you. There we go. All right. I'm going to begin in a bit of a circular way, and you'll see how things come together. I want to begin with this question. This is really about questions and credos, because I don't want to tell you what's what. You guys, as far as I'm concerned, are a huge candidate for maybe the most important generation that's ever existed in the history of the world. That's just my personal opinion. So, you know, far be it from me to tell you what's what. I'm more interested in sharing my experience and hearing and discussing and encouraging uh, kind of a rational and really a spiritual discourse around some of these issues. So to begin, I would ask the question, is it possible to love those you do not know? Yes. Okay, good. Uh, Now, my experience with this question, I'll share this way. There was a little girl who knew that she had an adopted brother. She didn't know that that was me. I didn't know about her, but she knew since since I was adopted out because I was younger. And uh, she always wondered about me. And she used to have a recurring dream. Funnily enough, I found a piece of art that is the image that she dreamed about, which is really odd that somebody actually created this art. It's a, it's a rocking horse made out of newspapers. And she dreamt that this little boy was rocking back and forth. And this is the idea of loving somebody you don't know. You're picturing their life going on without you. You're imagining, you're, you're maybe seeing something in a newspaper or hearing a story. And in your mind and in your heart, you're going on a journey of love with a person that you don't know. Or a creature or a tree. Okay, I'll even go further. So I know that it's possible. Because I didn't know about her until I was 
16, I guess. When I met her, I was inc incredibly nervous because I was afraid of feeling nothing or feeling nervous or confused. You can imagine. And uh, the love that, that I had and have for my sister is immense. Um, so it's a, it's a miraculous thing. And this is, the, this is, in fact, a love. And we went and visited our mother's graveyard together. And that love deepened. And I felt the love of the Creator. And these experiences really taught me what love is and how to love humanity. And as far as I'm concerned, it's not a figure of speech. Okay? There's a lot of ideas that you hear. And then I grew up with, for instance, as a Baha'i, which is, happens to be my background, uh, that the world is one country and mankind its citizens. You grow up with these ideas, and you think they're nice ideas, and they, you sort of go into an intellectual place with it, right? And you philosophize, and you, you, you consider, and you debate in positive ways with people around you. That's all good, but it's really a matter of the heart, okay? You have to get much further than that. You have to have those experiences that I'm talking about, okay? And as an adopted person, it's easier for me. I thank God that I was adopted because when I meet a person, I actually have the conscious thought. Frequently, I don't always, because I don't always have time to be thinking in this way, but I frequently have the conscious thought. I know that this person is my relative. I wonder if they know that. I already love this person. Credos and questions. We'll begin with the credos. Now, here is maybe a contender for a de facto credo, credo that the world has sort of landed on indeliberately, accidentally, without really thinking about it. I don't know if you agree with me. This is really from an American movie. But it's something that, in, especially in the United States, I, because I'm a U.S. person, I can say that it feels like that's the de facto credo of the United States because we have a lot of different races, religions, points of view. But it seems like the one thing we all have in common is, is kind of a negative ideal as far as I'm concerned, which is this notion that greed is good. So let's see the clip from this movie. It's really quite brilliant. And I hope there's volume. I didn't check. We're good. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies cuts through and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms. Greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind, and greed, you mark my words, will not only save Teldar paper, but that other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. Thank you very much. All right, I love that. So um, I'm afraid that I should, I should warn you that my talk might be a little bit dark. Some of you may experience it as a bit dark. I experience it that way, frankly, okay? Uh, but I, I'm trying to arm you for what faces you. And I feel it's my responsibility and it is your right to know the truth about some things, right? Um, so where we're at, and this is just one tiny, because this is an immense thing in terms of climate and in terms of uh, the geopolitical situation that you guys are facing as you grow up and plan your lives and decide where to, to live. We're in a bad situation, and this is just one tiny uh, example of this. According to HuffPost, scientists estimate that 150 to 250 species of plant, insect, bird, and mammal become extinct every 
24 hours. Every 24 hours. Now, this is nearly 1,000 times the natural or background rate. Okay? And, and these are numbers and they're intellective to think about, right? And the way that it presents, you, you, you put this in your head and you're like, oh, this is an interesting fact. I can debate with this. But let it sink into your heart, though. These poor animals, they're not just suffering, and they're suffering on a massive scale. But they're looking at extinction, okay? They're looking at just trying to survive as a people or as a kind. And some of these animals are tiny insects that we've never heard of, and so we don't feel it as much, okay? But we're losing something very precious, and we don't, we're not even fully awake to what it is that we're losing. Some of them are more iconic. I think that the white rhino is one of the most iconic creatures that's ever existed. I mean, look at these beautiful horns. Look at this beautiful calf. It's devastating what we're looking at. This was my mentor. By the way, I should mention that the person I'm referring to here his name is Jacob Bighorn, and he was my history teacher in high school in Canada. Uh, best speaker I've ever heard. And the thing that I think I heard him say probably more than anything else is, you are all my relatives. And he was referring to even the mountains and the trees and the insects when he said this. I learned a lot from this guy. And I would recommend his sentiment is part of your credo, not a matter of intellection for you, but a matter of the heart. And it's for practical reasons too, because you're not gonna actually survive what's ahead of you. If you're just trying to debate your way through bovine scatology, that's another form of BS we'll say, right? Uh, because intellectual truths, that's not the issue. We, you know, we know where things are at and it's not moving the compass dial. So the interesting thing is this comes from his tradition. Uh, I, I believe he's Sioux Indian, you know, a First Nations person of Canada and the United States. And it comes from his tradition as a, what we used to call an American Indian. We call a First Nations person now. The interesting thing about these spiritual ideas, you know, uh, Buddhists said that this world, this universe is an illusion. And increasingly, uh, quantum physicists um, pretty much agree mathematically with what Buddhists said thousands of years ago. Uh, the Native Americans have been saying, you're all my relatives, and they've been saying it a long time before Darwin did. It's something to think about. I mean, Darwin has this gigantic theory, the bottom line of which is that the guinea pig in the bio room downstairs is your relative too, right? It's an interesting thing. There's, there's ways of looking at that. Um, these are important kind of spiritual truths to understand. We don't often look at this stuff from a spiritual perspective. Uh, but I would suggest that the logic and the facts alone won't get us anywhere because we've got those. We've got more logic and more facts than humanity has ever had. And it was spiritual traditions that were getting these things right a long time ago. Although we're on the side of the scientists, they're telling us the same thing. So what's our credo? What's your credo? What's my credo? What's our credo as a, as a people? You might recognize this one. You may be able to complete it. This, this is my question for you, the one that I don't have the answer to. I'm wondering if there is a non-American in this room who can complete this sentence, who can tell, you, tell me where this is from and who said it, maybe what document it's in. We hold these truths to be self-evident. 
Yes. That all men are created equal. Okay. Anybody know who, who said this? People know more about my culture than, uh, than one would expect. Because I saw a guy in Prague that was wearing a Make America Great ball cap. And he was, he was Czech. And I was like, wow, that's very interesting. But anyway, this is, uh, this is Thomas Jefferson. It's in the uh, Declaration of Independence. It's a U.S. Really, I would say it's the Creda. There's, in my mind, no, no uh, alternative that competes with this as the Creda for the American, the, the, the better angels of the American soul, is that all men were created equal. But the funny thing is, is that I have, I'm kind of an intuitive creature, and my whole life I loved this Credo, and I thought, but there's something missing, though, right? My whole life I thought this. Let's continue. So, and when I traveled to China, I got the completion of it in my mind, right? In China, there's an ancient uh, uh, adage they say, and we don't know where this comes from, but it's very ancient. And I think it's the Chinese credo. Most Chinese people are aware of this, and it somehow lives in the same chamber of the heart that Thomas Jefferson's All Men Were Created Equal lives. Tianxia yi jia, and it is under heaven, there is but one family. When you put those two ideas together, all men were created equal, right? And women, right? Now, Baha'u'llah says some interesting things uh, that are similar, among which is the earth is but one country and mankind its citizens. Same idea. Again, for me, I actually don't look at this as a metaphor. Uh, Consider, you know, we can talk about like economically, at what period in history could Japan's economic situation, this tiny island, affect the economy of the entire planet. So world one nationhood is something that's kind of emerging, like it or not, so get ready, is, is what I would suggest to you. I don't think that this is a metaphor. I think it is, and you'll have to forgive me for being ascientific here, I think it is a prophecy, okay? That's just my point of view, and you're, I want you to disagree with me, as you need to. Um, but here's another thing, and this is recent, and it's like tiny, but I like these tiny details. It's meme culture. I can travel all the way from the United... I just mentioned one, one, MAGA, Make America Great Again, right? Go to the other side of the planet to the Czech Republic, a place that in the United States is very obscure in people's minds. They know little or nothing about it. I didn't know anything about it until my son went to school here. Yeah, exactly. They won't even print it. They won't even know the name of it. Um... And memes, it's like articles of culture. We're one people culturally, even before we're speaking a single language. And we're getting there even with language. We're getting to where we can share more and more uh, a secondary language and a, and a tertiary language. Uh, and of course, Jacob Bighorn's, uh, I would call it a kind of credo, you are, my, you are all my relatives. Um, I want you to think about, just, just, just kind of take a moment to look at these faces. We have uh, Martin Luther King, we have Jesus, we have Abraham Lincoln, um, Harriet Tubman, Mahatma Gandhi. This is Tahere, who gave her life for, the, for uh, women's liberation, the Baha'i faith. Uh, there's, this is an image of the Buddha. And there's Malcolm X. He was very angry, uh, but he got over it. And he started to love humanity towards the end of his life. So I include him in this grouping, but they have traits in common. And, it, and here's the critique I would make of your, uh, your age. A lot of you guys have forgotten some of the stuff that these people had to understand. And I'll make it very simple and brief because this could be too long of a discussion for the time that we have. Mainly, though, 
try to find, because I haven't found one, try to find a place where Martin Luther King or Gandhi or uh, Jesus or Abraham Lincoln or Harriet Tubman. Malcolm X, you'll find plenty of it, but not in his later life, not in his later speeches. Or Tahereh, right? Try to find places where they get negative on people. Try to picture them gossiping and saying bad things about Donald Trump, who I'm no fan of, make no mistake, or Hitler. Because in King's speeches, I haven't found really a sour word. I've seen where he expresses his anger, but what he does with his energy and his wisdom and his knowledge and his wokeness is he goes beyond wokeness, another international meme culturally that we all have, this idea of wokeness, into enlightenment, into illumination, into love. Okay, and that's a very much more powerful thing. You can't really do anything to somebody who's not going to, to attack you back and who is more than willing to give their life if that's what you want to take from them. You can't defeat that kind of a person. Okay? And that's the spirit that a lot of the uh, social activists of the past have had that I think this generation maybe could think about. Okay? Just my suggestion. Greta Thunberg, I would put her in this list, but she's new. And I think she's amazing, obviously. I think she might be one of the most courageous uh, and brilliant, uh, just smart, enlightened people in the world. And think about this, too. Um, I mean, if you read just this paragraph, I don't know how you could write or say a more powerful thing in, in fewer words. I don't know how you could do that. My message is that we'll be watching you. <laughs> this is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? But to watch her say it and her bringing her emotions into the room, that's what gets it into people's hearts. And if you doubt that, in your mind, can you hear the voice and the emotion of Martin Luther King? Can you hear it? You remember it. It stays with you. It sticks with you. Okay? This is what you have to get good at. You have to get good at heart stuff, in my opinion. It's one of the things you're going to need to survive. Now, this is cute and it's a little bit funny, but I'm not intending it to be humorous. I just think that this ape is, is beautiful. And I wanted you to, I wanted to sort of end my presentation with that question again, right? Keep asking yourself that question. All right? I think I did perfect for time. Now we can have some discussions. Uh, <laughs> and I have prepared... Let's see. There is a slim minority, I think, uh, in the world that doesn't agree that the climate is changing, that it is human fault. Yeah. Um, but there's a few people only who are um, Doing in, in the position to, to make a big difference. And mm -hmm. they might agree, but, but they might not be there with their heart. Exactly. The thing that I notice is that even though the majority of the world agrees with what climate science or scientists are saying, we're still behaving as though we don't care. That's what our actions suggest. What do you think about a person who says, I love you, 
but the way that they hate they behave towards you is treacherous and indifferent and they say and do cruel things to you you believe them when they say i love you right they may believe it right you may know somebody like this right they may believe they love you but their behavior indicates something else and uh and you see some of that you know um let me suggest to you this reason we need science we need okay uh Greta's bringing something else. She's bringing her, herself and her emotions into this situation, okay? And you guys are, I think, gonna have to do that. And you're also gonna have to go beyond what science and reason can give you because, again, the people that historically have been successful in some of the areas that modern man is failing are often uh, people that are coming out of a spiritual tradition of wisdom, and often they're indigenous folks, right? Another example, also this is from an American Indian uh, uh, biologist that I heard on NPR, whose name escapes me many years ago. She pointed this out. In her native language, and in most uh, American Indian languages, it turns out that there is no uh, real equivalent to words like, like you and it. Okay? There is only, and here, here's, this is interesting stuff to me. She points out that in her language, and most of the languages, the other indigenous languages that she's encountered, really the proper translation of the word for you is the word thou. Think about that. And again, there's no word for it, it's also thou. If you talk about a tree, it's thou. If you talk about a river, it's thou. If you talk about the sky, it's thou. The same way, the only vestige left, think about this, this is, some, this is actually maybe pretty important stuff. Only when we are using a spiritual language, okay, from a Buddhist tradition or uh, Christianity or, or something, do we even still use that word thou? And what's the difference between thou and you and it? What is the difference? Does anybody have a thought about that? Any thoughts about this? Because that's what I wondered. I was like, well, what's, what's, isn't that just the old word for, for you, right? Maybe the respect. Yeah. Yeah. Reverence. I would even use the word veneration. So when a people, when a people, because of their language, feels veneration when they talk about nature, it's impossible in their language not to feel veneration because of the way that the word is connoted, not the definition is the same, but the connotation, right? The meta meaning of it connotes a sense of, of deep reverence and veneration. Yes? Hi. Um, when you said they said thou instead of you and it, like I always think of thou in like prayers and like when we were praying mm -hmm. to God or like, you know, and then just like when back home, I was always taught like, you can see God in everything around you, technically. Mm -hmm. And when you said that, it's like they're referring to God as in like river, as in like the trees and like the mountain. They see it everywhere in nature and it just was really good. Yeah, that is a beautiful point. Yeah. And it, it actually is a beautiful point. And it reminds me of in Hinduism, according to, uh, you know, what's the guy's name? I can't think of his name now. You know, the guy who advised George Lucas in Star Wars? It's because I'm speaking publicly. I'm, I'm nervous since I'm forgetting some of my facts. The guy who, uh, Joe Campbell, 
Joe Campbell, he's a mythology expert, right? Hindus, when they are uh, bowing and greeting and doing all of this stuff, and also uh, Asian cultures in Japan, there are vestiges of this. What the original sense of it is historically, it may be forgotten to various degrees in modern times, is that they are, they are uh, acknowledging the deity within you. That's what the bow is about. It becomes a greeting, and you forget the implicit sense of it. But don't you still feel it? So when I say this, and then when you see people bowing, you feel, uh, you feel a little differently about it, but it's also something you recognize. Don't you recognize that there's a reverence that comes in, right? So it's interesting how when we study old traditions and we try to understand the original meanings of these things, it can bring us into a kind of enlightenment that goes beyond science. Now, you want to have, again, you want to have knowledge in science. You know, study, study, study. But you really have to have both. And I would encourage you that in your own mind, start vowing people. In your own mind, start loving people. Okay? Keep your cards close to your chest. Don't walk up to strangers and hug them. Okay? That can be a problem. You may get arrested or you may get mugged. You know? <laughs> Um, but in your own mind, uh, honestly, I think that these are actually incredible tools for survival because I would, I would now go back and, you know, keep revisiting this question, is it possible to love those you do not know? So, so not only is it possible, but I would argue that this, among some other things, is one of the things that your life is going to depend on in the future because it won't be enough. Facts and knowledge and reason and saying, you oh, know, this is going to happen if this doesn't happen and the scientists know this and how can you be so foolish? It's not going to get us anywhere. What you're going to need to do, you're going to have to have reverence for the world. You're going to have to have love for humanity. You're going to have to have love for uh, the white rhino that is dying. You can't act in the way, you won't even have the, the knowledge and wisdom to act correctly or the courage to act correctly. You see? What did, what did Martin Luther King have that the consortium of science, scientists don't seem to have, right? They get together. They have all of the knowledge that they need. But Martin Luther King is walking around with something else. He's got enough heart to stand up to Washington, D.C. He's got enough courage to give his life without flinching. Now, I don't want everybody to give their lives, but I want some of you to be willing to. Okay. Uh, if you're going to do well, I think that's what it's going to take. It's that's just how it is. That's how it's been in the future. And again, I feel a responsibility to tell you this. I feel you have the right to know. And if I could tell people in the United States that were getting ready to contemplate World War II, you get the sense at some point they didn't know if it was going to happen. They didn't know if it should happen. They didn't know if they wanted to participate. I probably would have told them something similar. Get ready. The stakes couldn't be higher. They've never been higher. That's my feeling. Um, let me see. Any more questions or thoughts? Um, so, oh, is it good to study politics or is it good to avoid it? This is a very contemporary question because it can be very negative. You can get toxic, can't you? And, you know, looking up and down Facebook and 
honestly, like, you know, there's a lot of it that I avoid. I'm very selective. I'm a very selective eater when it comes to political news. But what are your thoughts? You know, what are your feelings? You don't have to answer. It's like, it's sometimes it's good to ask questions and just keep asking yourself every day. And be looking at one article and ask yourself at that moment, is this something that I want to pay a lot of attention to or a little bit of attention to or what kind of attention do I want to pay to it, right? Keontae? Um, yeah, I was just thinking, you know, adding to that is if you are involved in politics with all the conflicts happening and everything, how could you also possibly love everyone around you? Mm, that's a good um, question. I was just thinking about it. If, is it even possible or not? Um, being all the time around this negativity and yeah. here's the point that I would make to to people that are very science minded and very uh, secular minded I think it's great I love their secular minds and historical figures that I just adore Stephen Hawking for example I think he's, he's just like a personal hero I mean but there might be a tiny blind spot and I would suggest that the thing is this, is that we, you can be secular, you can be an atheist, that's fine. You could can, you can be an incredible person, you can be a martyr in, in that category. But I would suggest that it's important to just think for a second about the fact that through the whole history of human experience from the very beginning, the vast majority of people, their hearts are not in their knowledge. It's a separate domain. To a large extent, their heart is in some kind of spiritual tradition or another, whether it's a religion or it's a meditative practice. And, and if you dig deep into whatever culture you're coming from, historically, traditionally, probably the best art and the most uh, profoundly beautiful uh, uh, dimensions of, of human civilization have probably grown out of some kind of a spiritual philosophic engine. And so, but it's still... The, the question is, is there a contradiction between science and religion? What is the answer to this question? Because if the answer is yes, there is, but we're at risk of losing a lot of the planet just because we can't get their attention on a deep enough level to do anything, you see? To do enough. They'll get the right idea. They'll agree with you. And they'll continue on. Yeah? Um, is that is that it? All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I feel like I am such a lucky person to be in this very place on this day, speaking to such wonderful people, and that uh, you guys have a good rest of your day. Marcus, thank you for staying here. Can you please help us to I had a thought that it would be good to keep the recorder on after the presentation was over in case I had an interesting chat after the presentation, since sometimes people would want to discuss things further in a less crowded situation. I wasn't disappointed. Marcus, a student from Malaysia and one of the first close friendships I made when I came here, approached me and I just loved our chat. He asked exactly the question I had hoped someone would ask. Here it is. You too. Thanks for having me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Sure, sure. How is it possible? Um, is it possible? Your question was: Is it possible to love people you don't know? How is it possible? No, no, no. Your question was: Yes. Is it possible? But yes. I would say it's really difficult. Because it is. Because people nowadays. 
you really cannot know them because yeah, people are must, must, right. especially especially us men. Yeah. Yeah. So put it in the form of a question because I, I know there's a question in there because you said there was and I can feel it too. Could you know what the question is? You're trying to figure it out. Yeah. Are you are you asking how is it possible? Is that what you're asking? How could you do it? Well, here maybe this helps. Think of it this way. Wouldn't you say that it's very easy for people to hate people that they don't actually know? Yeah, of course. Right. So it might be axiomatic, in fact, that if you can hate people you don't know, by definition, you could logically say perhaps that if you can hate people, yet the opposite is true. So we know that it is possible because of that. Because you can hate people from a distance, so therefore you must be able to love people from a distance. But here's another way to think about it. When I was probably 17, I was looking through drawings by Leonardo da Vinci. And I saw drawings that he did of, of people that were starving to death. And it filled me with a, the deepest sadness, but it, it had a, a side effect, which is, and, and perhaps you can understand this, you probably had similar experiences. Maybe not all condensed into one small moment like that, but it filled me with a, a great love of humanity because I then cared about the plight of people that I didn't know where they were, I didn't know who they were, but I knew that there were people out yeah, there that were suffering for something deep down yes. connect you to yes. how they might have felt. Do, do you know who's also good at this? We, it's something we actually are good at and we forget. Children, babies, and yeah. animals. To have dogs, dogs will come up to a stranger and give you the most uh, open kind of love that you could ever imagine oftentimes. It's not always, but dogs are capable of that. You see what I'm saying? So it's a dimension of experience that, that uh, we should pay attention to and we should get good at. What we've been doing for a long time, and perhaps since the dawn of humanity, a, a, lot of, a lot of human energy has been spent towards getting good at hating people that you, that you don't know. So this is what Hitler did. So let's do the opposite of that. And this is kind of how Jesus operated. This is kind of how Martin Luther King spoke. It's a different kind of love. It's not the kind of love that I have for you or for my son where you know the person. It's yeah. a different variety, but it's not less important. In fact, it's in a certain way, it's equal or it's more important because it's actually easier for me to love my son and less meritorious in some sense than it is for, like Martin Luther King did, to die for a lot of people that you don't know. See what I mean? Yeah. So those are just kind of some of my thoughts about that. Yeah. But it's a great, it's a great question. Yeah. Like how? I think it's just going to be empathy. Yeah. 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 As we wind down, I have a couple comments. I'm not a pro at public speaking, but I really enjoy it. One thing is, in the heat of the moment, details can be misplaced. In the previous talk on Darwin, I couldn't think of the name of the Galapagos creature which helped inspire Darwin's theory of natural selection, for example. It's called the marine iguana. I also couldn't think of the name of his book, which inspired me so much with my psychology studies. That book is The Expression of the Emotions in Man and Animals. At one point, I said there were thousands of examples in Origin of the Species. Of course, there were tons of examples, but there weren't thousands. 
I found that when speaking publicly, it's actually a challenge to be precise. It's something I'm getting better at. In my talk about the climate crisis, I didn't go into the details needed to prove that we are having one. If in 2020 you still think climate change is no big deal, you're welcome to contact me and we can discuss it, or perhaps the episode just won't interest you. Anyways, I feel like I didn't need to preach to the choir in this classroom, and that my time would be better spent talking about it in a more personal way. I tried to speak with them in the way I felt like might have helped me if I was in their position. I'd want some honesty, and frankly, I think I'd like some spiritual guidance as we head into maybe the most dangerous chapter in human history. Did you notice that in the beginning, one student said about the presentation, I like it already? I included that bit because I wanted to comment on it now. It threw me off. You see, most places in the world, there's very little hope and very little optimism concerning human nature, I find. The reason Chenzi said that she liked my presentation already, as you might have guessed, was because she saw the first slide, which asks the question my whole discussion hinged on. Is it possible to love someone you don't know? One of the reasons I love the Townsend School is because the students and faculty here are on a fundamental level supportive, loving, and they express such goodwill towards people from all walks of life that it's very uplifting and touching to see. I don't know how many places in the world you'd find where people would resonate with the idea of a prejudicial love towards humanity as something other than a fantasy, but this is a community where ideas like that can flourish, develop, and can become strong forces for good. It's the reason I've agreed to interrupt my college studies and work here as dorm parent for a while. I feel like this community is a good place for me to contribute as well as to learn new ways of thinking and being. For one thing, it's been very good for my sense of hope and meaning at this point in my life. On that somewhat positive note, I guess I'll leave you. I hope that you're keeping safe during the coronavirus outbreak and that you're cherishing your connections to people who, for the time being, you may not even be able to hug. I recently heard a saying from Russia about hardship that comes to mind at this time. Hunger is the best spice. You can visit my site on the web where you can find show notes and resources or leave comments at blog.fazoro.com. Fazoro is spelled Foxtrot Alpha India Zulu Oscar Roger Oscar. You can also email me at fazoro at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Time is up.